In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you. No scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Brian Brazda. He's one of my brothers from another mother. He was instrumental in my transition from UPMC to Trinity Health and, and really to the introduction of David Zari, which puts me at rogue hire here today. In one way or another, I owe him way more than, than one beer. Brian is a, is a talented entrepreneur and sales executive with a wealth of healthcare experience, building business at Stryker, Lean Human Capital, Healthcare Source, my steady mind, and now as a VP of sales at MindU. He and I spend a lot of time talking about really the future of the healthcare workforce and how some of our healthcare talent gaps can be addressed. Today, we plan to dig into how MindU is using advanced automation, AI, machine learning to impact the lives of seniors with their AI-powered virtual care assistant, Eleanor, its implications for the future of the workforce, and really how that crosses over to what TA pros are struggling with each and every day, not enough talent. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Reimer. I look forward to riffing with you today. We've talked about this for a long time, so glad we finally pulled it off, man. Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, meant what I said there in the, in the intro, and you know, I think one of one of your superpowers is obviously connectivity and and building relationships across the, really the the healthcare ecosystem, and so. We would love to dig into kind of what's what's going on with my and you and 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 how that maybe hails over here into the to the TA world, which you know and love. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of my journey through healthcare. You know, I came up as you as you mentioned through the medical device arena, and then I met David Zari, your your partner at Rogue, and we built Lean Human Capital, and that brought me into the world of talent acquisition and recruitment and retention and the strategies around those things that our health systems are facing every day. And, and then into healthcare source from there. And then, as you mentioned, My Steady Mind, which is a cognitive fitness and mental wellness training program to help nurses and doctors fight burnout. And then was kind of cruising along with that. And out of the blue, got a phone call from a, a go-to-market consultant that, mind you, had hired to help them figure out where to go with their product and, and what they had built commercially. So she found me on LinkedIn and, and I met her and, and, you know, basically spent about six months getting to know mind you, getting to know the leaders, getting to know the technology. And from that background of what David and I were doing at Lean Human Capital, trying to help health systems redesign recruitment and retention strategies and really studying the data around talent pools and candidly the challenges that recruiters are facing every day, specifically in healthcare for that war for talent. All of a sudden I was presented with this technology that to your point can transform the workforce. And 
we can start to deliver care to patients with our existing workforce levels, which I had really never heard of up to that point because everything I read and everything that we were doing with Lean and Healthcare Source was specific to the gap. We had all mm-hmm. these patients that needed care. We didn't have the nurses. We didn't have the physicians. We didn't have any care providers to bridge that gap. And it was in every article you read, just year over year, it got worse and it got worse and it got bigger and got bigger. And then again, presented with this technology that all of a sudden gave us a pathway to that bridge and, and kind of created a light at the end of the tunnel. So I got very excited about it j- just from a workforce perspective. But then the more I dug into the technology, I realized that, that was just scratching the surface of what the capability of this platform and, and what this team had built and designed over the last eight years, which is it, it's an incredible technology. It started with co-founder brilliant man. He's a, he's a PhD in astrophysics and neuroscience. And when he was doing his PhD and work in neuroscience, he was studying the relationship between the human voice and cognitive decline. And hmm. he had developed some algorithms to predict early onset of cognitive decline. So dementia or Alzheimer's through how our voice changes. And he actually, interestingly enough, one of his proof points for that theory was Ronald Reagan. So he Hmm. took all of Ronald Reagan's public speeches from the day that he started in Congress to his last day of of president and ran it through his models. And he actually, his models predicted Reagan's cognitive decline two and a half years in advance of when it actually was presented or or certainly announced into the public. And so... kind of future state of what that is, we, we call that listening to the music of the voice, mm-hmm. the pitch and the tone, the sentiment, all the different musical elements of our voice and how it's directly correlated to our health, both physically and mentally. And hmm. So at one level, we can use this technology to give caregivers, doctors, nurses, the ability to scale care management and deliver care mm-hmm. massive populations. But future state is to literally use this to detect changes in patients' health simply by having a conversation with them using wow. that, that piece of technology. So there's, go ahead. No, no. And, and so then I'm assuming then that early detection then fires off preventative, potentially preventative care that can be administered and then what reduces the burden on the healthcare system or like what, what's the, the bigger vision at play there what, from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the bigger vision, I, I think, and how we can impact the healthcare system is, is exactly that predictive and getting ahead of uh, getting ahead of adverse events for patients. So the idea is mm-hmm. with this technology. So is, as you mentioned that the technology is called Eleanor, uh, so mm-hmm. if you could imagine like in your mind, like Siri or Alexa calling mm-hmm. you, and having a care management conversation with you. So if you're, you know, if you're an elderly person, you have multiple chronic disease states, you've got diabetes, you've got CHF, et cetera, like the majority of our elderly population has, you, you ideally should be enrolled into some sort of a care management program where your provider is able to have regular touch points with you 
to manage those disease states. And we're doing a lot of it through remote patient monitoring. We're doing a lot of it through human nurses and human caregivers having conversations with patients in a traditional care management setting with the idea of trying to check in regularly to stay on top of health. Because ultimately what happens is our adverse health events occur in between those things. They happen uh-huh. in between our doctor's visits. They happen in between uh-huh. our care management phone calls. And so, so the idea is to leverage technology to try and get ahead of those adverse events and in, in a most fundamentally keep people out of the ER. If we can yeah. route, if we can get ahead of these adverse events for these particular disease states and get them into primary care or urgent care or telehealth visits way in advance of an emergency department run, we can start to significantly bend the cost curve for not only our health systems, but those that are paying for it, our insurance companies, CMS. So we have the opportunity to really go upstream in the cost curve and bend that and affect that in a, in a significant way, which is what we're all trying to figure out. I mean, yeah, yeah. globally, we're, we spend more than I... I forget the exact statistic, but it's something like seven, we spend 17 times more than the next wealthiest country in the world. And yet we're like the 30th sickest in the world. From a, yeah. From an outcomes, exactly. you know, perspective, exactly. I think a lot to unpack here. And I think that the, the thing that is, is probably really would be really interesting for me to understand is, is how, how strong is the headwind with the senior most leaders in, in healthcare organizations today? as it relates to this idea of, of AI. And so like, you know, each vertical within, you know, let's say the healthcare continuum, you know, and we use talent acquisition technology has certain pieces of it in, in it right now that they're profess, professing advanced automation, machine learning, and, and even artificial intelligence. And, and I think that there's skepticism in some, you know, uh, ranks of, of some health systems. I, I think there's early adoption certainly happening in, in certain areas. But, you know, do you see those headwinds just about, you know, general knowledge of, of what AI is and the value of it? And, and should I be scared of it? <laughs> you know, or is it something that, that truly is, is potentially this lift for, to your point, the healthcare system that we're all searching for? Uh, such a good question, dude. So, so, so a few different thoughts there. One, the, the headwinds are are tremendous, and and one of the biggest components is is the noise and the confusion in the space of just saying artificial intelligence and machine learning. Mm-hmm. Generally, those two terms are interchangeable. Artificial intelligence and machine learning fundamentally are using algorithms to understand massive amounts of data. And ultimately create some predictive models for whatever particular problem it is you're trying to address or, you know, a lot, we're seeing a lot of it in imaging. So in the, in the radiology world, you're seeing a ton of companies come out with AI around different imaging solutions. And so, so when you look at this space, it's like the best example I can give you, dude, is I went to HIMSS this year, which is the Super Bowl of healthcare technology. I mean, there's, yeah. I don't even. There's like 50,000 people that go to it. There's 2,500 vendors. I mean, it's just a, it, it's an incredible event. And when you walk through that exhibit hall to go look at all the different vendors that are providing all these different solutions, it, it, it's, I, I, I walked out of there and I was like, if I was a health system operator, 
I don't even know where to begin. I mean, first of all, yeah, where every, do I begin? every single right. company says AI, like everybody yeah. using AI. So one, one, I don't even know what that means from yeah. 2,500 different vendors. So now you've got these health system leaders that absolutely understand that, okay, this generally speaking, this technology is game changing, right? We're able to, mm -hmm. you think about like, we're talking about the future of workforce, right? It's like, you look at, we have, just as one example, you have nurses that are, have been training, you know, for years to become top-notch caregivers, whether it's bedside, whether it's outpatient, whatever it is. And you've got them doing incredibly mundane tasks, making mm -hmm. basic phone calls, scheduling stuff like prior authorizations, what, whatever it might be. And they're not practicing anywhere near the top of their license. So- mm -hmm. AI, machine learning, and automation can help take a lot of those burdensome tasks off of their plate, which is mm -hmm. huge because what we should have them doing is giving, delivering care to patients, yeah. not yeah. the rest of that stuff. So fundamentally, leaders, I believe that certainly the ones I talk to know that, but mm -hmm. you, have, you have two issues. One is what I just described about the HIMSS conference, which is all right. I, I, one, I don't know where to go. So much noise. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know how they make sense of it. I, I live and breathe it every day and I get confused occasionally of what companies mm -hmm. are doing. And I think the mm -hmm. second piece is, you know, I, was, I had a conversation with our VP of clinical strategy yesterday and she said something really cool to me. She said, you know, right now these health system leaders are, they, they have death by a thousand vendors, right? Like there's yeah. every one of these vendors is a point solution. It's like we address mm -hmm. one particular issue, we're solving one particular problem, but the last thing that health system operators are looking for is a hundred different vendors and, and trying to manage all of that. So yeah. I think you've got people trying to figure out how do we go find the right technology partner that can solve multiple solutions or multiple problems for us with one solution so that I'm not mm -hmm. buying and contracting and managing a hundred of them. And I think that's yeah. key. And then, you know, I recently took a, I took this pretty cool course through MIT. It's called AI and Healthcare and mm -hmm. about 150 classmates. And many of them were physicians and, and health system leaders that are, that are working in health systems. And you could just tell in my communication with them that they basically been tasked with exactly what you just asked. Like I'm mm -hmm. leader in their health system said, all right, you're, you're going to be on this team or you're going to lead a team to help us understand this world of AI and machine learning and where the right solutions are for us to pick the right partners, pick the right vendors to help us in our journey and what our goals are. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think part of the other thing I learned from HIMS is many of these health systems are, they're out trying to hire that level of talent. They're looking for data analysts. They're looking for computer scientists to bring them internal to help navigate that world of noise and again, find the right partner. So it's, it's an interesting space. It, it, it changes yeah. daily. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to be in, but again, I, my heart goes out to the health system leaders, man, cause I don't know how, I, I don't know how you, you, you pick the right person, the right technology partner. I had the same exact experience when I went to HR tech last year, you know, and, and so again, you know, not, you know, clinical technology per se, but, you know, HR technology. And, and you know, you couldn't walk through the, the thousands of vendors and not see at least, you know, AI attached to something and felt the very same way, which is like, man, like, where do you even begin right. to understand what, what's the right, you know, solution? 
that death by a thousand cuts, I, I think is real. And then the expense associated with it is also very real. Right. And so it's like, Hey, you know, th- like there's, I'm sure been hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of R and D that has went into something like your solution or some of the stuff that's maybe on the market that's actually legit. Like you look at it, you go through a demo, you go through an experience, you maybe reference out an early adopter and you're like, yeah, this is kind of game changing, right? This is kind of moving the needle. You know, I think the, the one thing that, you know, I, I think a lot about, you know, as it, as it relates to the workforce and, you know, just kind of curious on, on your take here, you kind of leaned into it with the, with the nursing example, but you know, when you look at your platform or you look across the ecosystem, do you, do you fundamentally believe, not to lead you too much, but do you fundamentally believe that these solutions, this AI actually delivers time back into the ecosystem for the direct care providers? Meaning like, hey, like, let's just rewind the clock a little bit. And so like, let's go back and look at like EHR deployments. And so like, it was professed to be you know, the, 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 the most important thing that, that ever happened to healthcare. And we, we all were taught that we needed, you know, the, the specific ER, EHR setup it was going to save all this time, was going to do all these miraculous things. But to your point, you know, our direct care providers got caught inside of dealing with basically administering the, the EHR system. It is, is, is AI different than that? Is that a different thing or is it the same gotcha? Right, which is like, hey, after I deploy this stuff, right, you know, I'm going to need these five, 10 admin things that I wasn't accounting for before that existed. And actually, this is going to cost me more time. You know, just kind of curious on your thoughts around that. Oh, dude, I, this is why I love riffing with you, man. It's an astute question. So, so it depends on, on the technology because that, that's a mm-hmm. lot of the feedback that we get is. You know, our, our platform is, you know, fundamentally we have, we have the most advanced virtual care manager in the space, right? So Eleanor mm-hmm. reaches out to patients. She has conversations with them based on their chronic disease state, right? Based on their care pathway, based on the reason they were discharged from a hospital, whatever, whatever the particular use case is and whatever the inputs that we're getting, we have a conversation with a patient. On average, Eleanor speaks to someone for four minutes. So mm. if you imagine a four minute conversation. So part of the, the. Who'd be having that conversation today? Like, 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 like if I didn't have Eleanor, who's, who's doing that? Is that, I mean, that's just care managers that are they're reaching out or is this admin like front, front, front desk type of stuff? No, this is more so. Well, one answer is no one. Nobody. Secondly, care managers, nurses, again, but that, that kind of goes, you know, so, so most basically a fundamental idea is, so take care management as an example. So traditional care yeah. management model. So in a traditional care management model with care managers, and, and typically a lot of those services are outsourced. So you have a care management company that's hiring MAs or LPNs to make these phone calls and have conversations with patients, develop their care pathway. So industry average is somewhere between 250 to 350 patients per care manager, based on Mm. the time it takes for them to make the calls, log the information, get it into the EMR, et cetera, et cetera, you can run about 300 patients per care manager. So Mm. you insert Eleanor on the front of that, we can manage about 2,000 patients per care manager because Eleanor handle about 85% of those care management phone calls. 
And now Eleanor is feeding the care manager only the relevant information that they need to know if there's a change in a care pathway or a medication adherence concern or, or whatever it might be. So now you can take 2,000 patients and gather all that information, automatically get it to where you need to go in your EMR. And now your care manager, literally, you've completely reversed the workflow. Now they're just mm-hmm. inbound stuff from Eleanor to say, hey, you need to call you need to call Matt, but you don't need to call Kat, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how we can start to, to build efficiency that way. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really the idea with it. And it's, that is fundamentally, to your point, game-changing. But mm-hmm. back to your question of a lot of the feedback that we've got, especially from like medical directors and the physicians, is mm-hmm. like too much data is a bad thing. Because a, mm-hmm. a lot of these platforms are, you know, I go back, I go back to the hymns example. It was like, it was almost comical, man. Like you'd go around and talk to every one of these companies and you go, what do you do? And they go, what we do is we take your data and we put it in with our data. And then we have this magical AI machine that spits out predictive <laughs> data. And it was like yeah. one company after another. I've, I've never heard more people tell me, we take your data and put it with our data and then give you predictive data. It was just like, it was funny. But so anyways, that predictive data, it can be an overload. Like you've got to yeah. find the right balance of like what's too much because otherwise you've completely eliminated the efficiency you were trying to gain by, mm-hmm. and you see your, your EMR example is perfect, right? Like the idea was, all right, let's get off the of paper charts. Let's get off of these cumbersome ways of taking notes between patient and, and provider visits, create an electronical system. It'll be faster. It'll be easier. And now we're battling the world where these physicians are like, I don't want to live in an EMR anymore. Like I'm sick of standing at a computer and filling all this information out. I just want to go take care of patients. And yeah. Similarly, in the, in the AI front, and many of these companies that are, that are doing predictive analytics and, and predictive data around massive populations, patient populations, is it's like it's data overload, and, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do with it. And there's some, there's some big companies out there that, that are doing great work, but, but the feedback I get at the provider level is, is almost like we, it's too much. Like I, I don't have time yeah. to consume all of that because I've got 27 patient visits I have today. So like, and yeah. I, you know, it's 15 minutes per visit and I don't have time to spend another 30 minutes, you know, with, with some chart that's got me overloaded with data. So it's, it's a, it's a definitely a, you know, a happy medium somewhere, somewhere in between too little and too much for sure. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of bring up, you know, a, a, another, you know, point that's been kind of rattling around in my head and it, it, it's the patient, right? So like, you know, you and I, you know, and, and, and these companies and, and all of this technology and this, this, you know, venture capital that's in this, this industry, if, you know, their, their mission is pure, it's pointed at, you know, better outcomes back to where you started. And, uh, you know, maybe a patient experience that, you know, has somebody coming back to an organization as a, as a loyalist, you know, and, and so just so, you know, for your survival of business, if you will. And so, you know, we get this a lot in the, in the talent acquisition side, which is like, Hey, you know, Hey, your AI tool is cool or whatever, but like, I don't want it interacting with my candidates, right? I don't want it helping pulling talent through. Right. And so that's like an interesting idea to, to think about. I'm curious on any feedback kind of in these early stages about patient reaction kind of in your population to 
not interfacing with a human, right? Because if you kind of think about it, recruiters have a very similar challenge is that there's thousands of interactions that they could and should be having, but they just don't have the scale to get to it. And so I'm just kind of curious, like what, what kind of effect is it having on the end and most important consumer in all of this, you know, the patient? Yeah, <clears throat> great question. And, and I think a very... I think a very relevant analogy. I mean, that, that, I, I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned it, but what, what the recruiters are dealing with, with thousands of candidates they should, that they should be connecting with is the same challenge these care managers are dealing with the thousands of patients that they should be connecting with. And again, I think it comes to the, to, to the right technology. I mean, unfortunately, in terms of automated engagement solutions, Many of which in, in today's day and age are chatbots, which is, it's been huge in TA since our lean human capital days. I remember when they really, really started to hit the market, but, um, you know, largely it's, it's these chatbots and they're, and they're pretty limited in their ability to navigate a dynamic conversation with a candidate or a patient. It's primarily yes, no questions, numerical answers to where you can build basic decision tree logic. And, and that's not a great experience for a candidate or a patient because it's, it's very robotic. And so there, there is technology now, mind you, has been working on it for eight years of trying to create and successfully create a, a more dynamic way to engage with a patient. So I, 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 there are technologies out there now. I imagine that there's, there's big companies in the TA space that are trying to do the same thing sure. just out of necessity because they're... There, if we could have a human to a human 100% of the time, that's ideal state, but it's just not sure. feasible. So I, I think it's about finding the right technology and testing that technology and, and not taking the company's word for it and, and piloting it on a small population of candidates or patients and, and really understanding how your patients react to it. We're, we've been, and honestly, the company started kind of out of, out of dumb luck because Mm -hmm. created this, this voice solution, Eleanor, which is a bot. And mm -hmm. they didn't really think, they kind of thought that, like no one's going to want to talk to a bot. And mm -hmm. the more that we deployed it across populations, the more and more patients took to it. And the feedback that we get at the patient level is it's, they feel connected to their care team like they've never felt before. They know hmm. that if they tell Eleanor something, that that's going to get back to some person on their care team that can help them. And hmm. when, when we, we do a lot of patient experience surveys with Eleanor and we ask questions to patients a lot about what's your experience like with this. And that's the feedback that we get is like, okay, I've, I've never really had traditionally, if I needed help with something, I had to call into my primary care office, wait on hmm. hold, try and get a hold of a front desk attendant and then make an appointment for two and a half months later. And yeah. now you've got this entirely different level of connectivity to your caregivers. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know you just dealt some things with your dad. I dealt some things with my father recently. And it was just like, you know, my dad's literally calling his primary care office. Like I'm like, I am sick. Like there's something yep. wrong. I, like I need an appointment. And it's like, okay, next available appointment is in two and a half months on Tuesday at 9.15 in the morning. And a week later, he's in a hospital. And it's just like, if we can create using these technologies, that connectivity, then I, that's where I think it becomes powerful in the patients. That, that's where they start to really engage with 
the technology, it's that connectivity. So I don't know, you know, how that really folds into the the TA space, but to me, it's like, you know, if, if all of a sudden I've, I'm taking this candidate experience, which on the surface maybe doesn't sound great because you're you're using a bot to have conversations with yeah. candidates, but yeah. all of a sudden, if the candidates start to feel more heard and more engaged, rather than like the resume in the black hole scenario, black hole, yeah. you you you've now elevated candidate experience, which. God, we spent a ton of time on that. And, you know, I know you guys at Rogue are doing infinitely more than we did, even in our lean human capital days. But, you know, candidate experience translated into what we're doing in patient experience, critically important. One, because CMS is now basing about 50% of reimbursement on mm-hmm. patient experience. Wow, really? Yeah. And that's going to become more. So, so 50% of my reimbursement comes down to my patient stat scores exactly. that, you know, somebody's filling out. Yeah. I had a, a meeting with, you know, I'm here in the Detroit, Michigan area. And so a lot of friends are, are at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Mm-hmm. They live and die by these survey scores. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard to get them people to fill them out just to, things, just to begin with. Exactly. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars a year on the line for mm-hmm. experience scores. And so, you know, we're, talking to them about how, how could we deploy the technology to help us, you know, help us manage that and help us make sure that our members are, are happy and are getting a good experience. And so, so we're in the patient experience side, there's dollars tied to it on the candidate Hmm. experience side. There's, I mean, I guess there are dollars tied to it sort of indirect. Oh, sure. You know, there's dollars in, you know, lost opportunity, you know, so like, Hey, I'm trying to pull a clinical person through the, the process and, you know, to, to your point, like I've got a question that, you know, is about benefits or something like that. You know, I got to find the recruiter, the recruiter's got to get in a schedule and I got to, you know, this type of thing. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of the technology that you're talking about here today is probably a touch more advanced in, you know, than, you know, kind of what we're seeing in, in the TA stack. I mean, the TA stack, we're seeing a lot of it, you know, I think sophisticated advancement in kind of two areas. Number one is the scheduling. And so that's always been a really big challenge for any recruiters. Like, hey, yeah, I can get through and kind of figure out who your top three or four are. But man, the logistics around getting you onto that hiring manager's calendar and getting you scheduled into it is just extreme. And so you're seeing a lot of advancement in there. And then your your data-to-data analogy, you know, earlier, like we're seeing a lot of companies starting to realize and to unlock the big data that's sitting in the 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 S and the CRM, and then representing that. So instead of me, a human, having to go source and mine through all that that data, you know, basically the the machine learning is putting that top talent that that talent that you know is basically buried nuggets inside of the database. But 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 I haven't yet seen you know technology as as advanced as using voice to reach out. I mean, there's been I I think some attempts of that you know recently in in some tech that we've seen as it relates to voice interviewing but it was much it's much more feeling much more transactional meaning that it's not dynamic meaning it's like a set of five questions that i'm deploying consistently on something and so it's just a really interesting to to envision it at some level as i sit here and talk to you maybe where even the future of ta goes as technology like like you stabilize in in the you know in on the clinical side a hundred percent. And, you know, we, I joke about it with our co-founder, the Ty, the guy that mentioned that really built the technology eight years ago. And we, we, we kind of, you know, he jokes, but he's like, he goes, anybody can build a chat bot. 
He goes, he goes, you and I can go online, especially now with chat GPT. I mean, you can go online and do it in an hour, but you, Mm -hmm. the, the ability to create an empathetic, dynamic, compassionate conversation is a whole different level, especially using Mm -hmm. voice. So I think you will see that. And I, I, the more I think about it in the TA space, it's like, what, what, what a, what a hugely powerful thing is if to start to level leverage some of these advanced conversational abilities, uh, even in the interview space, you know, it's like you said, it's like, you know, five very, very set questions. If the pay, if the, if the candidate doesn't answer it in the right way, the system doesn't know how to respond to it, which creates a bad experience for them. And then you're right back in square one. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's uh, the ability to do that dynamically would be, would be huge in the TAs. I can't even imagine yeah. much efficiency. We've talked a lot about technology here. And in, I guess in the, the last, you know, 10 minutes or so here that we've got together today, just kind of curious on, you know, as your career has transitioned from, you know, medical devices, you know, Striker and, and the work that you did there into, you know, talent acquisition, and then now over to, to software. Obviously, that that same thread of you know not enough clinical talent has always persisted. You know, I you know I would imagine over your almost you know twenty year career, better inside of you know inside of healthcare, and it it seems to me that it's getting more and more acute. Meaning that like the alarms have been sounding for years, but but recently here that they've really been amping up. You know, and and you know obviously you know COVID moved that along a little bit. You know, do you think that, you know, technology is the only way out of this or, you know, is, is there a perspective that you have on the workforce in general as you reflect back that, that you think that other initiatives or other focus needs to be had to, to develop this future clinical talent that we need, specifically nurses, techs, you know, people, people that are willing to go hands-on at the bedside? Yeah, I mean, I think my my thought around it would be a couple things. One is, you know, one of the things I think that has a lot of people a little bit freaked out about AI and machine learning is it's going to take my job. The robots are taking mm-hmm. over. And believe it or not, like I even get that at the nursing level. I just we're launching hmm. we're launching a program with a large health system out on the East Coast and and we do a lot of what's called transitional care management, which is patients get discharged from the hospital, whether it's ED or inpatient every day. And so the idea is Eleanor is going to call them on a weekly basis to avoid a readmission. So again, getting ahead of that ER visit, specifically in that transitional care management. And there, there's CMS dollars tied to it and reimbursement dollars tied to that specific thing. So there's a, there's a whole other element there. But so we're launching this program and I'm working with probably about 12 nurses that are involved in the program today. And some of them are literally looking at me on this conference call and they're like, they flat out said, like, I, I, is this going to take my job? Like, am I still going to have a job? And, right. and it's like, I can't even begin to describe to you how far we are away from yeah, a bot right. taking a nurse's job. Like, yeah, right. we're just simply trying to figure out a way to give you some help to make your day better and to manage the patients that we're trying to figure out how the hell to manage. And yeah. so, but I think that's, that's a very real thing. And so the thing that we talk a lot about for us in the future of the workforce is like it or not, though, you've got to embrace it. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've even gone to the extent of thinking about, you know, is there an opportunity for us to get involved, like at the nursing school level, where now Hmm. we could come into nursing training programs and give them education on how to understand AI and how to use these technologies. And, you know, when you think like what we're talking about in terms of this data output, how do you, you know, what's the most efficient way to manage that? What are you looking for? What are the technologies out there that you could leverage as a professional nurse or as a professional caregiver provider to, to, to leverage that? So we, when we talk about the future of it, it's like, I, I do fully believe that if, you, if you're not embracing AI or machine learning, then you, you're, you're going to get passed up because that, that is mm-hmm. inevitable of where, of where every industry is going. So when, when you yeah. ask me that question, that that's really how I, I, I think about it. And certainly we're talking about it with, with our customers and then certainly internally. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a NACR membership today. Free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as $80 per person annually. Learn more at NACR.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. Last couple of questions here, and then maybe we can sign off on round one. How's how's the the golf game, and is are we past the Rocket Mortgage Classic? I'm, I'm looking at your polo there, and I just was kind of curious how that went this year, or if that's going on right now. No, I'm I'm sporting the gear today. We just had it. Was it two weekends ago? So big success. How'd it go? Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Ricky Fowler is you know he's 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 the flagship for Rocket Mortgage, and he won the tournament in a playoff on the 18th hole with a birdie putt and the place, the place went <laughs> ballistic. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Perfect. My, yeah, golf, my big, golf uh, game on the other hand, little, little that's, different. Different. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. turns out when you're trying to build a digital health company, you don't spend a lot of time on the golf course. <laughs> yeah. You spend a lot of time learning, which it sounds like you've been, you know, been doing. Last question I've got for you. My, my, my good friend here is, you know, you've been in healthcare for, for quite some time. Is there something special that keeps you in healthcare as a, you know, as where you like to, to deploy your time? Or is it just something that career-wise you, you ended up in? I definitely fell into it by chance. You know, back in the day, my, my buddy, one of my best friends that I grew up with, got a job with Stryker. And he called me one day and said, hey, there's an opening in Detroit. He said, I can get you an interview, but you're on your own from there. And ended up getting a job and, and it's, it, it used to kind of drive me, drive me nuts because it just seems so cliche to me. Here I am working for a medical device company, trying to figure out how to sell more hips and knees to more orthopedic surgeons. I mean, it was like, but every time we'd go to these meetings, all the leaders, the entire leadership was always talking about, we're, we're all here to improve patient lives. Like we're, we're all doing this for patients at the end of the day. And I don't care if you're a device sales rep, you're a physician, you're a nurse, you're a recruiter in a health system. However you trickle that down, there's patients at the end of it. And I used to sit in these meetings going like, all we're talking about is trying to sell more hips and knees. And you want to tell me that this is about the patients and the other end and it just ended up realizing that that actually is the reality of it. And like, I just really loved that, man. I fell into that. I leaned into it. You spent your day. And then the beautiful thing about coming up through the medical device space was I spent every day of my life in an operating room where patients Mm. are, they're at their worst, man. I mean, they're, they're just like, they're under the knife 
trying to find a better life, style, life, whatever it might be. I, I did a lot of trauma work. So it was even life-saving surgeries. And you just realize that like it, that really is what it was about. So once I got my, my taste of that, I just, I just didn't want to let that go. And so it's always been doing it for that. And, and then my career has gone a variety of different ways, but again, even building lean human capital, it was like, we were, we were trying to help health systems build a better recruitment mousetrap because Mm -hmm. There was all these patients that needed help and we didn't have the staff to do it. And we're trying to fill those gaps. And so, you know, even, even in those days, it was, it was the same thing. And I've just, I've always loved that, man. I, I, again, I, early in my career, I was kind of calling BS. Like, I, I know you're this standing up really, yeah. that dude, but then in the next <laughs> you're telling me how to sell more hips. So like, yeah, yeah. But no, it's that for me. And that's what, that's what it's been about for sure. I know you've got a, a significant following in the you know healthcare talent acquisition leader space. Any any advice for that crew? You know, as we as we sign off here, as as you move forward, kind of looking back over your years of working with that group and and talking with heads of TA, directors of TA, any advice you'd give them? I mean, I'm biased, man. One, I would just say hire rogue hire. But <laughs> shameless plug. We appreciate that. But. No, I, I mean, I, I was I was so fortunate, man, in that space. I, I literally between between when David and I started to build lean human capital in 2013. And then really what what escalated it for me was when we went, got tied into healthcare source, you know, healthcare source, just they just put me on an airplane and I went to literally every health system in the U.S. and sat down with talent acquisition leaders in. I actually counted it up one time, and I, th- I think I literally sat in 80% of the health systems in the U.S. in the director of PA's office at some point. Hmm. So hmm. that gave me amazing perspective on the space because, hmm. one, what I learned was certainly similarities, but also many differences. And you hmm. could feel the nuances of the culture, of the operation in every health system that I went to from the Kaisers and HCAs of the world to small regional health systems and everything in between. And what being a part of David's vision of our, our first vision was we need to give these leaders visibility into like, what, what is top performance? Like when we walk into a meeting and we want to define how well we're doing in the industry, there was nothing industry wide that could give you that level of detail, that level of information. And then the second layer of that is, all right, when, when we find room for improvement, what levers do we pull? And that, that would, to me was wh- whether you hire Rogue or the consulting services or whatever, at the most basic yeah. level, like at least, at least get like the benchmark data, at least get like some sort of comparative so that when you're spending your time strategically planning your next year or two for your TA function, have that knowledge of what's happening mm. in the market. And, you know, I, I would, we were fortunate enough to, we got a lot of people in the community and a lot of people to participate in the benchmark study, but, but we, we scratched the surface, you know, and it was like so much yeah. more, so much more room. And, and that just became yeah. like a collective power. I mean, it was like, it, it was almost the more people that got in it, the more valuable it became yeah. for them. So it was just like, yeah. It was a win-win all the way around. And that, you know, and, and I just thought that was such a powerful way to, 
to approach the space as a TA leader and having that knowledge base. To me, that was, and I, I love talking about it. I was super passionate about what we were doing and, and what you guys are continuing to do today, man. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you trenching in today. If, if somebody wants to learn more about the Brian Brazda, what's going on at my and you, how, how would they reach out to you? What would be the best way to connect? Given your audience, LinkedIn, man, hit me up on LinkedIn. Right. So that'd be, be the best way, certainly. And uh, yeah, just direct message me on there. I'd love to, would love to talk shop, whether about TA or, or mind you or anything in between for sure. So I cool. appreciate it, brother. Well, we appreciate you much, man. And maybe we'll have to do round two here at some other point in time. So I'd love it. Thanks, Brian. You got it, buddy. See you. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.